today we are talking about finances. Our title is Kingdom Rich. And uh, we are speaking, this is the last message in our Kingdom series. For those of you who joined us right from the beginning, we've spent six, seven, today will be our eighth Sunday that we've spoken about the Kingdom of God. And the Kingdom of God really is such an important topic. And we can probably forever talk about the Kingdom of God in different ways. Um, in fact, I think that the Kingdom of God is like the Uber container that everything about God falls into. And when you talk about anything Christian, you're actually, you'll actually find it as a concept within the kingdom operation, the kingdom government of God here on earth. And you guys will have no, uh, remember, that, you'll remember that we spoke about kingdom, unity, kingdom priorities. We spoke about Jesus Christ being the Lord, the king of this kingdom. We spoke about um, kingdom government, uh, not just how that relates to earth government, but also the fact that Jesus did not come to bring a religion to earth. He came to start a new ruling system. He came to start a new government, which was one where he is ruling, he is king, and we are his sons and daughters being blessed to co-rule with him in this life. Um, and then we spoke about kingdom attitude. We talked about how important it is to live with thanksgiving. Right? And, and how living with thanksgiving sets you up to be able to hear the voice of God, receive the promises of God. We talked about forgiveness, such an incredibly important part of kingdom realities, the relationships. And how do we live in you know, community with broken people that hurt us um, and that disappoint us uh, through forgiveness and through ending the downward spiral that bitterness and hatred brings to us. Uh, escape all that by letting God's purposes prevail in our life once we've set other people free and we don't keep them indebted like God is not keeping us indebted in Christ for our own sin. And then we, I mean, Ryan spoke about kingdom marriage and it was just such a powerful, powerful message. I, I think that one uh, stirred a couple of cages because it's become so culturally acceptable to just, you know, do, um, do relationships between men and women, you know, in all sorts of forms. Um, but what we learned was that God has a specific purpose for marriage and a specific design for it. And we do well to honor that as it is the health and the building block of society to create a nuclear family like that. And then I think today, I mean, we shared many different thoughts in, in between all of that. But and I, as, much as, I've, as much as I enjoyed it, um, it's been even hard for me. Because <laughs> when you speak about the kingdom of God, you speak about the perfect you speak about God's glory, and we never <laughs> match up to it, you know. We're all always finding ourselves falling short as well. And um, so a great, it's just a great time of growing, I believe, um, that even, even we as, as preachers have gone through in this, in, this, in this series. So today we're ending it off by talking about um, just kingdom finances. How do we view, how do we, you know, perceive our... Um, our, our finances and our wealth. How do we treat it and handle it in a God-honoring way? So I just want to say right off the bat that it's not that our church is doing bad financially, that we're doing a financial message. It is actually fundamental to the Christian existence to put money in its proper place. 
Jesus did not, uh, um, you know, when he said you can't serve two masters, uh, put him and Satan in the, in, the, in the mix. He said you can't serve two masters, therefore you can't serve God and money. <laughs> uh, you know, he puts it money against him for the rulership of our hearts, not Satan. Um, and so money has the ability to rule our hearts and, and he wants the privilege of ruling over our hearts. And so that's why it's so important because it's fundamental to our existence in the kingdom of God that we know how to handle this thing correctly so that it does not start handling us um, and, and, and have its way with us. Um, and so I'm going to start reading from 1 Timothy verse 6. No, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. It says the following. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So the first thing I want to point out here is that Paul is addressing a group of people who are rich. Now, uh, last week my wife spoke about the fact that, you know, if you're living in America and if you're earning a minimum wage in America, it doesn't matter which state you're talking about, you're roughly earning 32 times as much as the average income of the population, the global population, right? So that means he's referring to us all. Let me say this to you. There are people that are homeless here in America who are better off than people who have jobs back home where I come from. It's weird to know to, to, to see it like that, but it's the truth. In America, this nation has prospered so much that even your poorest of your poor are considered rich by certain other countries' people. And so there is so much to be thankful for, and there is so much to know. To, there, it, it's important to know that because when Paul addresses the rich, it's easy for us to go, oh, that's not me. You know, he must talk about Elon Musk or Bill Gates. He simply isn't. He is speaking about anybody who has any form of means that are, that are, that are not entirely destitute in any way. And so, yes, there are definitely you know, scales of, of understanding what richness is. Um, but in a country like America, we, can all, we all have something to give. Everybody has something to give. And so he's talking to all of us. He's not excluding anybody in this, in this, uh, in this sense. And, and so, so I want you to be encouraged by this today. It doesn't matter where you're at in your personal finances, where you, you, know, where you perceive yourself to be. This is a message to help you to um, gain, regain or gain correct perspective of what God sees money, you know, the place for money to be in our lives. Second thing he talks about is he talks about, um, you know, uh, this age he talks about being rich in this present world um, and this age which which directly denotes that there is an uh, age that is to come there's going to be a world that is to come 
And it's so interesting, these last verses, where he says, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So it's interesting when we think about heaven. We don't know what that's going to be like. Like, you know, we get these pictures of, you know, people flying around or people just all of the day singing in choirs. And none of those things are accurate, by the way. Um, we know somewhat what it will look like. We will know some of the things that won't be happening in it when we're there. But there's a lot of heaven that we don't know. And I don't know about you, but recently I went on a hunting trip. And I was pestering Pastor Bubba the whole time with questions. So when we get there, is that going to be there? Do I need to bring this? What about when that happens? Is that going to kind of, will, I, will, I be, will this be enough? You know, do I need anything else? Why? Because I didn't know what was happening over there. I don't like to end up being unprepared when I arrive at a place. Right? Amen. So listen. He's saying that if you're not laying up treasures for yourself that is for the coming age, you're going to arrive and be unprepared. Why? Don't ask me. This book don't say. But he says, do it. Which means it's necessary. It's going to be for your good. If you live your life here in this manner. So, you ought to think like this. Because I don't know what's going to happen, everything that's going to happen over there. I better follow the little bit of advice that I am getting to the T. <laughs> so that I am at least prepared in the way that I was given information for. So he's really helping us to get a perspective that very, very often we miss. That this life isn't about this life. This life is preparation for the next this life is us setting ourselves up for the next life. You know? and, and we think like that. We do, but we forget that there's the life after retirement. We want to set ourselves up for retirement. We do. And we live like that. I need to prepare for the day that is to come. The only thing is we don't take that day far enough. You know? <laughs> we think that day ends when you know, we're 80 or 90. That day is not going to end there. And there is a coming age and it says this, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There is a way that you can live on earth that is life, but it's not truly life. And you're going to miss out on doing the things now that's necessary to set you up for a great other side of life, other side of, of, of eternity. Now, I know that there is, the Bible says there won't be, you know, no more tears and there won't be... Um, uh, you know, there won't, won't be any sin, etc. And that in and of itself is going to be amazing. But the fact that he advises us to lay up treasure, to lay a firm foundation for the age that is to come, it has to draw our attention. It has to make us understand that there's things about eternity that we don't understand yet that we need to get ready for. And it's going to be to our benefit if we heed the advice. And so, therefore... We want to make sure that we create, you know, a understanding in our community of believers that it is to our all's benefit that we live with kingdom generosity mindsets. That we live with eternity in mind when it comes to our physical resources. Um, because that actually matters to God. 
So I want to unpack two things today. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the why for us. Why do we need to live with eternity in mind and with generous hearts toward the kingdom of God and the purposes of God? And second, how? How do we do that um, in our in our lives. So let, let me jump into the first one by reading John 14. John 14 verse 1 and 2 says the following, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Everything is ready. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. The point is that heaven is our home, not earth. Heaven is our final destination, not earth. And we get to prepare now for the way we enter and the way we get, get the, the start we're going to have one day when we get to heaven. So Jesus always tried to lift his disciples' eyes up to the spiritual realm when they came to him with earthly questions he always helped them to see the spiritual reality that he was busy building and that he was actually um, uh, involved in and so anytime that he wanted you know them to uh, to do things practically for earth he wouldn't just give them practical instructions he would teach them principle and that way they, they will always, in different circumstances, have the principle to apply and live out the heavenly reality here on earth and live according to God's principles, right, in every situation. What we need to understand is that our solutions aren't really from this earth in the first place. Our solutions come from heaven. And, and us heeding to that is actually teaching us how to live now in preparation for then. So your, our obedience, right? Our, our taking what the Bible says and doing it rather than what we've learned on earth to do is us actually laying foundation for our existence in heaven. It's taking from the spiritual realm, learning how to live it now, which prepares us to, to one day be able to live it when we're there. So we're always going to have to learn how to almost deny our reality and have faith in what God has said to us which he says in that first verse, trust in God, but also trust in me to be able to live in this world with heaven's principles so that this world becomes our prep for then. Okay, enough said. Philippians 3, for I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many of those whose conduct shows that they are actually really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And so we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our savior. When it comes to money, I don't know about you, but man, I've been in conversations where people talk about what they're doing with their money. And sometimes I just think, man, that is, that's, that's nice. I, I wish I could have all that. But at the same time, I go, man, this person's whole existence is just tied around his money. Everything that he's about is just, you know, and he boasts about all the things that he does with his money. And number one, it doesn't make me feel great about me. <laughs> I sit there and I go like, man, I sure have a boring life. <laughs> and, but at the same time, I go like, 
oh my goodness, if this person is never going to realize that you know, this money that he's spending on all these things or that he's just not using for God's good is going to mean nothing at the end, you know, he, he's going to have a really, really rude awakening one day. And so there's always this tension in all of us, right? We all want nice things. We all like having nice things and have comforts and all that. And what I'm glad to hear the Bible say is that God gives us these things for our enjoyment. He does not withhold us from enjoying you know, the fruit of our labor. He does give us that. But at the same time, He does not allow us to become the dictator of what and how things are supposed to happen. And that's the thing that we just need to kind of settle in our own hearts, is that, yes, I'm allowed to enjoy what I earn and my finances, and I'm allowed to make money for advancement, for personal improvement and, and advancement. At the same time, there is some order that needs to be in place. And the first thing is that I need to realize that all of this is not about all of this. It's about one day in heaven. And the more I have, the more opportunity I'm actually given to prepare for one day. So our citizenship is in heaven. And so we're really waiting for God to come and get us to go to the actual place where we're where we're meant to go. So think about it this way. Imagine you're, you, you get headhunted by you know, a company of your current trade, but it's in a different country, right? And so they fly you over and they put you up in a hotel and for the entire duration of your contract, let's call it a year, you have to live in the hotel, right? So you're an American, you have property here, you know, you're building a home, a house, etc. And every month you'll come back and come visit family and everything is here set up and you're, you know, this is where your this is where your house is. But now you're living in that hotel room. So every morning you go down, you know, you grab your coffee, you get to your place, you do your job, six, five, six, you come back, um, you know, you take a shower, maybe go down and eat, maybe go out, eat, you know, you start making a couple of friends, that's all good, um, here and there. But you go back to your hotel room at night and you sleep. Answer me this question. How much financial capital investment do you make in that hotel room? Not much, right? It's like, sure, you might find, okay, I need a better iron, you know, than these, the hotel gave me. Because my shirts need to be, you know, nice when I go out in the morning. So you might buy a better iron. Or you might buy a, some different, something different that you think you can get a nicer thing of the, the, that the hotel is providing. But you're not going to buy furniture. And, you know, there's a TV. You're not going to buy a different TV for the hotel room. You know what I'm saying? You, you're not going to make massive investments. in the, Why? It's not yours. You're, it's, you're not, that's not your house. It's a temporary situation while you have an assignment. And when it's done, you're going to be called home. Why do we have to buy another big TV if we have one? Same size, just a new one. Because this one was just getting old. No. <laughs> just keep watching the thing. <laughs> This is our temporary assignment. We're not supposed to take all our money and invest in this existence. We're supposed to take what we gain here to invest in back home. So what you're probably going to do, you're going to send money home. You're going to go, hey baby, you know, I made it. I got a bonus this month. Go get us that X that we have been needing to get. 
Isn't that what we're going to do? We're going to invest in a home. And that's what our existence here is somewhat like. We're on an assignment here. And yes, we need the necessities. We need what we need to get the job done. And, and sometimes it's good to just have something that you know, blesses and, and, is, and is good and is enjoyable. But our problem is, is that we forget sometimes that this is not our home. I'm in a hotel. I'm going to have to go home someday. And then if I've neglected that, I've not invested there, I might come home and find that somebody else moved in my place. Because I never let know of me. You see what I'm saying? The investment needs to happen back home. And that's what we need to realize of our earthly life is heaven is our home. Earth is our hotel room. Second thing is, why we need to live like this is because there is limited time, but there is so much opportunity. Think about all the opportunity there is to let people know about Jesus, but sometimes how limited we are to be able to grab that. I'm just thinking of our church, all the things that I'm dreaming of and trying to, how, can we, how are we going to get there? I'm like, man, there's so much opportunity. Like our schools are just open. It's like, you know, there's so many kids that are just ready to hear the word of God. But, but because we're limited, we're not there yet. You know, I, I, I'm thinking of, you know, the, what, what, what's happening in front here. You know what? We can write our own songs. Amen. We can write songs that, you know, that, that express our faith, our, our own, you know, uh, perspectives on things. And, and we, can, we can put that in people's hands and... and but we're so limited. <laughs> I sometimes get so frustrated because there's so many things I want to do, but we just can't get there yet. You know, That's why we need to remember that that life, the age to come, is the important one. So that we will spend our money proportionally correctly. And we will invest in that so that more of these opportunities are able to be maximized. Like planting more churches. Man, how many little communities are there around here that don't have life-giving churches in them? We want to plant churches there, but we're limited. The opportunities are always greater than the supply. And that's why we need to make sure that our priorities are correct so that we'll be able to maximize the, priority, the opportunities to the best of our ability. Now, everybody has limited time. But imagine if we put our limitedness together. Now we're starting to create some momentum. And I believe that's what's happening in our church. We're seeing momentum starting to pick up. People are buying into what we're trying to achieve. And I'm just, I'm extremely encouraged by that. But that's the reason why we need to keep encouraging one another towards love and good works, like the Bible says. Because at the end of the day, there's opportunities that need to be maximized. And um, just very practically, if we're going to reach the schools, we need a youth pastor. Bottom line, I don't have more time in my week to dance around schools and play with kids, you know? But I want that to start happening, but that can't happen yet because we're limited. But we're trusting God for that. And I need you to trust God with me for that. 
so that our children will hear the gospel in their schools, have gospel communities created in their schools where they can join and have a place where they can be encouraged in their faith. Listen to me. Your child does not fight a devil junior. A devil junior. Okay? He fights the same devil you're fighting. He needs the same support you have. We need to recreate everything we have for them. Opportunity is there. That's why we need this, this heart of, of focus, of generosity towards God's kingdom. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Here's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to reach kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ before the age of 10. Because by the age of 11, kids are getting sexually active. Kids have their first encounters with drugs before they even reach the age of 10. That's why we need the gospel in there. Don't act recklessly. We need to make make the most of the opportunities that are being given to us. During World War II, Winston Churchill created a campaign to encourage the nation to get behind the government's efforts to, um, to um, uh, beat the, the Nazi Germany forces. And the, the, the ad said basically this, self-indulgence at this time is helping the enemy. It's not neutral. It's actually helping the enemy. In a world where there's always going to be limited resources for good, Self-indulgence is helping the enemy. We need to have our priorities right. And it's not about money. It's about our hearts. It's not about the amounts. It's about our, our intention behind it. The third three reason why we need to do this, and I kind of alluded to this, is just because it's smart. It's really smart. You know, Jesus gave us the biggest insider trading tip in, of all time. That's that, um, you know, everything in this life is going to be worthless when he comes back. (laughs) So don't make too much of this life. Put your focus on what comes after this and invest in eternity. Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth. We moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. Look, you want, if you invest money in the stock market, you want that stock market to be successful. You want that company to be successful. That's where your desire goes to because you've invested there. If you start investing your finances in the kingdom of God, your heart is going to come back to the kingdom of God. You're going to want to see your neighbor saved. When you start investing in people, because that's how you invest in heaven, is by investing in people's eternity, right? Things that help them to see the gospel. See them to help them tangibly feel God's love. Look, I've been the recipient of people that comes randomly and just, you know, blessed me with money, especially as I was growing up and I I grew up very poor. Um, I experienced God in those moments. I felt that God knew about me in those moments. He saw my struggle. And he was willing to move heaven and earth 
to get sustenance to me, to get resources to me, because I'm his son. I felt loved. And that encouraged my faith. That's how you invest in heaven, is you invest in people. You're generous to people. Every time you do something good to somebody in the name of Jesus, they experience the tangible love of God expressed in a practical way. You've just made God real to them. That's why it's smart. Because you're investing in heaven. You're helping people. You're lifting Jesus up before people. The Bible says if we lift him up, he will draw men to himself. That's how we lift Jesus up. So listen to this parable in Luke 12. He told them, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what will I do for, for I do not have anywhere to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. Bright spark. Build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is going to be required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It's incredible that he came into a lot of extra. And his conclusion is, well, if I came into some extra, it means I have to Hoard more. And the exact opposite is what Jesus is saying. Extra is not bad, but there is a purpose for extra. And it's not hoarding. How do I live generously? You have to believe and understand a couple of things. The first one is this. You have to start acting like a steward. More like a steward and less than an owner. More like a steward and less than an owner. In this verse I just read, over 11 times the, um, the parable uses the word I, my, me, and mine. Completely self-centered. All about me. All about me. This person really understood his crops to be his. <laughs> it's very clear. <laughs> his goods to be his. And that's the number one people... Sorry, number one reason why people get mad at you when you talk about money in church is because they perceive their money as being theirs. I am the owner of this. Who is this preacher to tell me what to do with my money? You're right. I'm nobody to tell you what to do with your money, if you had any. The bottom line is you don't. Because every single thing you've received, you've received from the hand of God. You've received it from God Himself. And that's why we said in the beginning of, this, of this, um, this series, the greatest threat to thy kingdom come is my kingdom come. You see, this guy was all about my. My crops, my barns, my grains, my goods. And then my plans. Don't fool yourself and pray the prayer, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done 
but then perceive everything that you have to be yours. No, the second step after that needs to be, so here's everything that you have laid before me to steward. How would you like me to go about using this to, your, to fulfill your purposes now? Because that is how we live in the kingdom of God. Actually, on earth, it is the same. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's <laughs> and everything in it and all who live in it. So it's not my money. It's not my resources. It's not my house. And I know it is yours, okay? I'm not stupid. But it's technically given to you to steward for God's purposes. And that's why we need to act more like stewards of what has been entrusted to us than owners. See, an owner has the last say of what needs to happen to something. But a steward has to submit to what the owner says needs to happen to something. And so whatever we have, we need to see as this is God's. But you might reason, you know what? I worked hard for this money. And you will be right. You worked hard for that money with God's breath, with the body that God gave you, with the intellect that God gave you, the physicality that God gave you, the ingenuity that God gave you, the mind that God gave you, the life that God gave you, the energy that God gave you, I can continue. The Bible simply says that it is God that gives us the ability to create wealth. And therefore, everything we are and have, it simply is His. We belong to Him. But we're talking about a heart issue here today. okay? And I want you to hear this very clearly. God does not force anybody to do anything. That's why he doesn't take the tithe out before it, you, it reaches you. Unlike the government, okay, who don't trust us and who, you know, they, they, they take it out even before you see it because they know if that hits your pocket, it's going to be mm, very likely that they never see it. God puts us on the honor system. Why? Because for God, it needs to be a matter of the heart. For God, it doesn't count if it was done under compulsion. He wants you to say, Lord, all I have is yours. Here. What do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to handle this? It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of who's the priority here. Is it me and my and I? Or is it God's kingdom? See, Christianity is by and large a priority system. It asks you, who's first in your relationships? Who's first in your marriage? Who's first in your job? Who's first at your workplace? Who's first in your finances? Who's first in your parenting? Who's first in your social life? Who's first in your, in your fishing? Who's first in your hunting? Who's first? And here's the thing. If we ask, and that's the second point kind of we have to make. We have to make God first. Or oh, that's the third point. Okay, I'll get to that one in a second. Let me, let me, let me handle this one first. God wants it to come from our hearts. He wants us to willingly give it back to Him. So the real question is not necessarily, you know, how much of God's money should I give back? No, it's actually, how much of it do I get to keep? <laughs> That's the right attitude. How much of what He has entrusted to me do I get to spend on my own pleasures and my own enjoyment? Because He has a purpose for what He is entrusting in, 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 in to me. 
Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The second way, how do I invest in heaven? You become a sower, not a stower. And we kind of made that word, I know. But it works. Other word is a hoarder. I've seen people's houses, right? They have four of everything. And my question is, why? Why? Why have four? No, but if the one breaks, then I have another one. Yes, another one. Not another three. But at the same time, if you have another one, that's good. But why not just buy it when it breaks? Why do you have to buy it now and hoard it? It's a mentality. It's out of fear. When we know that God says, I know your needs and I'm going to look after you. So it's a matter of the heart. God wants us to show Him our trust in Him by how we look at what He has entrusted us to us and how we treat it. Do we treat that as our safety and as our security? Or do we keep our relationship with our Father priority as our safety and our security? God wants us to sow, but He gives us a great promise that when we sow, that it will enable us to to be rich in all good works that He requires of us. So in other words, God says, when you give, it actually enables you to give more. It enables you to do all that I'm asking you to do, but it's when you start hoarding, that's when you start seeing everything you have as lack. But when you have God's perspective, you start seeing as everything is you, everything that you have as abundance. And out of that abundance, you're free to just give and share with people around you and help and, and be a blessing and be generous and, 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 and have the joy of experiencing what the Bible says when it says, beats more blessed to give than it is to receive. The third point is that you need to put God first. I could have put this first. Because putting God first sorts out everything else. If you put God first, then the rest of the question is just, it's like academic. Of course I'm going to do that, Lord, because you're first. But because there is such a toss-up in our hearts between, you know, is God priority in my life or isn't He? When it comes to certain things, I have to almost renegotiate whether I'm going to obey that or whether I'm going to do what God asks me to do in that sense. Let's just settle it in our hearts. Let's just decide today that we're going to put God first in everything because that makes all the rest of the Bible easy. It just does. You can stop all the conflict in your heart about where you're at and what what things are about if you just make a decision to put Jesus first. But sometimes something happens and it's in Hosea 13. We see, It was I who knew you in the wilderness, says the Lord, in in the land of drought, But when they had grazed, they became full and they were filled and their hearts was lifted up and therefore they forgot me. Since when we start start coming into some some comfort and some, some resemblance of wealth that we start seeing what we have as lack, 
the a lot that we have, we start seeing that as a as, as a lack because we start comparing ourselves with what others have, and and then we desire more, and so our hearts get lifted up. Why are they more blessed than I, Lord? And then we forget God in our pursuit for money. Listen to me carefully. God has no problem with you planning for your future, with you saving money, with you having money. You, nothing, nothing of that is wrong in God's eyes. What's wrong in His eyes is if money owns you, not you owning money. If money dictates to you how you do things, it is owning you. No point in asking if, it's not, if it is or isn't. Look at where you and how you spend your money. Tells you. Your intentions doesn't matter. Your practice is what counts. And so put God first. Decide today that, man, I'm going to start changing things up. I'm going to put Jesus first. And I'm going to let the rest sort itself out. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Everything you need. And much of what you desire. I won't say everything. Because sometimes God just knows better not to give us certain things. I've experienced that. There's been things that I've been, there are things that I wanted when I was 20 that I still don't have. But I know now if I got it when I was 20, they would have made my heart lift up. And I would have forgotten God. It just, it just is. That's where my character was at. So God knew. Maybe that's still where I'm at because I still haven't got him, right? <laughs> but that encourages me to keep putting Jesus first and grow my character so that he's able to entrust me with more because he knows it's not going to get stuck by me. It's going to flow through me. And so that's why it's so important. Much of Christianity is just about priority. It's about this kingdom. Jesus is king. And He gets to determine how we spend our lives and on what we spend it. So today is not a, a message that comes because, you know, church needs money and so we need to preach about finances and all that. In fact, we, we barely, I don't think we've ever asked money for, for the church necessarily. But when we ask money, it is always connected to the vision of God's kingdom so that more people can be served with the gospel, more people can be reached with the life-giving word of Jesus Christ. And that we unapologetically ask for. Because time is limited. And opportunity is so, so, so just everywhere. The Bible says a different. It says the harvest it's plentiful. Jesus said to his disciples, Look, the fields are white for harvest. They're ready. Maybe over here we'll say the rice field's golden. Get it. But Jesus said, Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field. Let me tell you, you stepping across the road, offering to help your neighbor with something, that's you stepping into harvest. You bringing your tithe to the church so that the church's operation can continue. That's you stepping into harvest. You blessing that child that needs education but his parents can't afford it. 
you're stepping into harvest. God's perspective of money is that it's a means to an end and the end is always His kingdom come and His will be done in the lives of people. Real people. The early church found themselves often in such a place of generosity where the Bible could declare of them that nobody had lack. Everybody had everything that they needed. I've seen that generosity in our church. And I want to encourage it to keep growing. And if you haven't stepped into it, let me give you one final encouragement for why you need to become a generous person. You know when you're, a, when you're growing up and you're trying to understand the relationship and the love that God has for you? And then somebody tells you, you know, one day when you have your own children, you'll have a better grasp of God's love for you. You go, oh yeah, I, I can see that. And you understand that here. But the day you hold that little bundle in your arms that day you understand it there's something about aligning your character with the character of God that helps you to understand God's love not just for you but God's love for this world God's love for your neighbor God's love for people becoming a generous person makes you become more like God, makes you understand God better, grows your intimacy and your relationship with God. So today is, and don't worry, we're not going to take up a special offering. Today is a, today is a time to check our hearts. I want to ask each, of one, each one of you, is Jesus really first in your finances? Does Jesus have the 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 right and the say so about your finances so for those of you who've been regularly and and you know faithfully tithing i want to ask you don't fall into the trap of just tithing and forgetting about everything what does god say about the extra how does he want you to invest that Because that really puts you in that place where He's the Lord over your finances. But knowing that He's Lord over your finances, you also need to know that he, you are His child. And He will take care of you. He won't ask you to give everything away and then you be destroyed. If He asks you to give stuff, it'll always be, there will always be a redemption for yourself in it as well. You don't have to distrust God. He will look after you. You are also His child. He loves you also. Just as much as the person that He's trying to reach through you. So give Him that trust. And give Him the honor of being first. And being the Lord over how you manage and steward the resources that He has given you. Let's all stand today. Father, we just want to come as a, as a church today and, and ask you to forgive us, Lord, for not putting you first in everything. 
Lord, help us for thinking that we get to decide how we conduct our lives and what we do with what you've entrusted to us. Lord, we don't want to be in that position any longer because that, that place of honor belongs to you. So Lord, today we just decide to, to put you first again and ask you not what, what can you do for us, but what can we do for you, Lord? Which opportunity you want us to capitalize on next, Lord God? Lord, I know that where you lead us and guide us, you'll provide for us, Father. But that counts for every single person here, Lord. Lord, we're gonna, we bring our hearts before you. And we give you our hearts, Lord God. We give you our trust, Lord Jesus. Lead us, Lord. Show us how. And we will follow you. We will follow you, Lord God. Because you're the king of this kingdom. And we're glad to be a part of it, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right. So I hope you guys have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. May God bless you. And may you contemplate a little bit more about this during the week. And... um. I'll tell you this, just as a closing comment. My only desire is that each and every one of us will really put Jesus first in our lives. That fixes everything. Over time, it fixes everything. You'll find wherever there is an issue in your life, Jesus is not first. Go try it. Go try it this week. Where is Jesus not first? And just do the same as we did right now. God bless y'all.